0: Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You're listening to the Seed to Seed message for February 2023. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from Glenpool, Oklahoma. Well we are in february i didn't do a message in january because january was a pretty full month Uh, we had to do our end of year database entry and then getting the donation letters out and taking care of taxes and whatnot all and then we had two trips up to nashville to speak at four conferences at shopfix academy and so it it was a busy month Also, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary on the 20th of January, and we are actually going down to the Dallas-Fort Worth area this weekend, and our friends there are going to be hosting a celebration party for us. Uh, Tracy and Matt will be driving down with uh, some of their children. And Brad will be flying in from Colorado Springs to be part of that celebration. So we're excited about that and looking forward to that. We feel so blessed that God has kept us in great health, kept us alive, and kept us in love for these 50 years. And it's a joy to celebrate His goodness and His blessing to us. The same time we are celebrating His generosity through so many of you into the ministry we have just been so blessed. We have had some sub- substantial gifts given to the ministry, and we are so grateful to God for blessing us in the way that He has. It is a joy. Well, the book, The Birthright, is available. It's in, uh, on Amazon. It's in Barnes and & Noble and other bookstores, and so we encourage you to get it. We will have it up on our website uh, shortly. Uh, the uh, the e-book is also available we don't yet have an audio book I will be speaking with them this coming week when we are down there in the dallas Worth area about uh, doing a, a a audio book we have lost the files from the audio book that I read for the original the birthright and but the, we're hoping to have that soon as well because nowadays so many of you do listen to books. So that will be forthcoming. So if you would like to get these books in bulk, please email me. They come in boxes of 45 and there are people who just take a box at a time and they give them away or, uh, you know, whatever you'd like to do. If you want them in bulk, email me at john at liberatedliving.com and tell me that and we'd be glad to give you a discount price on those books. So, the book, The Birthright. Pray that it will be a blessing to so many. And if you have read it and or do get it off Amazon or Barnes & Noble, please leave a review of the book so that it will boost our position on the website At the moment, when you put in the birthright, it brings up a new agey book called Birthright, and so we'd love to see the the birthright boosted higher on Amazon. So if you leave a review, that will help. Well, uh, the message this month is going back to November, the messages that are shared first at ShopFix and then preached at... uh, Grace Covenant Worship Center in Hogansville and it's on the prosperous soul and this month we'll be releasing the first message and and so on for the next couple of months there are three messages in the series the prosperous soul it's a great concept great uh, to me great insight into the word and so I'm sure you're going to be blessed by the the message and I pray as John prayed for Gaius, beloved, I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Soul prosperity leads to prosperity in every area of your life, as well as in health in your body. And so I pray that this word will be a rhema word to you this month. Bless you as you listen. Well, we are happy to be here. And uh, to be able to share with you, as Bev said, we've just spent uh, at four conferences in Nashville with ShopFix, about a total of 900-plus members now uh, of Shop. who were there at the conference. Uh, it's amazing what God is doing. The organization is just growing, and uh, we just feel so privileged to be a part of it and to see the transformation, I'll tell one story uh, that uh, Bev didn't tell. Um, the, the first conference, there was this couple. They shared their story. They came 18 months ago, just a year and a half ago. They came to ShopFix for the first time. They joined the organization. They were dirt poor. Uh, shot, they were in $86,000 in debt and uh, their shop was not doing well. But they were so desperate that they were sleeping in their car and when Aaron Stokes, who leads the organization, heard of it, Aaron got somebody to get them the best hotel room and put them up in the hotel room, shared their story, and uh, the members started a uh, GoFundMe and raised $14,000 for them. And uh, they began to just apply all the principles that they were learning at ShopFix. And uh, they're, they're believers, Ignacio and I forget her name. But uh, 18 months later, listen to this, they now have three shops. In August, uh, would it be August? Yes. No, where are we? No, September. They did a total of $555,000 gross between their three shops He said, we banked $168,000. Transformation. It's it's so exciting to see people take the truth that they are hearing at ShopFix and apply it to their shops. Now, there's some folk who just keep coming every three months to to these conferences and don't apply the truth. And so they never move off-center. I've learned such a fundamental thing there. If you take the truth that you hear and apply it, it works. The truth transforms. And that reality is true in the body of Christ as well. And that's what I'm going to be sharing about uh, in these tonight and tomorrow morning and tomorrow night. And I'm going to take my studies from the third epistle of John. It's way back just before Jude and Revelation. In the third epistle of John, John is writing to his beloved Gaius, a son in the, in the gospel. He says this in verse 1, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul Prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and t- testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Okay? So what I want to, us to consider for the next uh, three services is the whole subject of soul prosperity. Because he says, I pray that you may prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Some of the reasons why people never do prosper and why they sick in their bodies is because their souls are not healthy. Their souls are not prosperous. It starts with a prosperous soul. So I want to talk about some of the characteristics of a prosperous soul. And... Uh, I'm going to just break down the the grammar, the words for a little bit. The first thing is this, that in the um, verse 2, go back to verse 2, and in this New King James Version, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Some religious deadhead couldn't stand the truth. Because John doesn't say, I pray that you may prosper in all things. He says, I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health. My primary prayer for you is that you may prosper and be in health. So you say, but surely that's not a very noble prayer to pray over somebody that they are prosperous and are in health but when you understand that he's talking to him as a father because he says i have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth if you're a father and a mother don't you get derived great joy when your children are doing well and when they're not doing well it's a burden on your heart and so for parents it's absolutely paramount to see my children doing so well Twenty-six years ago, Tracy, our daughter, was going into her senior year at Oral Roberts, and Brad, our son, was going into his junior year. And at the beginning of the year, it was a big trek up from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, bringing all their stuff up to Oral Roberts University and getting them situated in their rooms. That year, Tracy was a what they called a spiritual life dorm director. She was over all the chaplains in her particular dorm, so she would meet with them Week, weekly and and so on and brad was a chaplain as well and uh, just at that point i had been able to buy them new cars and so they were so well situated and uh, some of you have heard me tell the story we were going back to the dallas fort worth area after we had met finished moving them into their rooms we sat down together under saga and alex and jill will know where saga is the cafeteria And we were downstairs and we met together and prayed together. And we were driving down US 75 through Glenpool where our office now is. And I was just overwhelmed as a father with gratitude to God for how well my children were provided for. And I said to the Lord, and I can take you to the spot in the road where I said this. It's forever etched in my memory. I said, God As a father, just I'm so blessed to see my children so well provided for and so well situated. And I heard the Holy Spirit say this. Now you know how I feel when I see my children well taken care of and provided for. See, now religion will tell you that's not true. That God's primary motive is to see you holy and sinless. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's why John says, as your soul prospers, that you may prosper and be in health. Now, the word prosper, is the, the Greek word is a good journey. So it implies motion, you're moving. I pray that you may prosper. Say, so There's nothing in the scripture that, that implies st- being static, standing still. Prosperity means you're moving. And then, and being in health, listen to this word. It's beautiful, hugios. Uh, The best illustration of it is in John's gospel, with the man with the withered hand. You remember that Jesus said to him, stretch out your hand. And the Bible says when he stretched out his hand, it became as whole as the other, hugios. So wholeness is restored to full potential. Restored to manufacturer specifications. Restored to what it was designed to be. God wants us for our bodies to work well. He wants us to be in health. That's the scripture, folks. It's not a pipe dream of some Pentecostal preacher. Hello. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the word of God. I pray that you may prosper and be in health is in John's heart as a spiritual father for his spiritual son Gaius he says because I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth so John could say as your soul prospers because he said you're walking in the truth and soul prosperity is simply this that you are walking in the truth that you have had revealed to you that's it. You don't know everything, you, 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 you're you not yet arrived, you, you're not finished your course, but you're, you're moving and you're walking in the truth that you have received. Again, let me say this from ShopFix, you know, because we hear this from the coaches. The greatest frustration that the coaches have, and Aaron I know as he teaches these, these guys, is to see so many people who never move off-center because they're neutralized fear, and I'm going to be talking about that tomorrow morning. They are so afraid to step out. They're so afraid to believe that they have the potential to make it, and so they, they do nothing. They don't move forward. So I want to talk about the truth that we walk into that indicates we have a prosperous soul, and the first one that I want us to look at tonight is a prosperous soul is reflected or is manifested in somebody who is skilled in the word of righteousness. Uh, Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. I love this passage of scripture because it's it's so good. We're going to start reading at verse 11. The writer of Hebrews says, Of whom we have much to say, and he's talking about Melchizedek. He wants to talk about Melchizedek's priesthood. He wants to show us that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's not of the tribe of Levi, so he can't be a priest under Aaron's priesthood. But in the Psalms, God makes a declaration that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so, Jesus' priesthood, he's going to argue, is far superior to Aaron's priesthood. In fact, so superior that Abraham, in whose loins Aaron was, actually gave a tithe to Melchizedek of all the spoils that he brought back from defeating Chedorlaomer. And as the writer says, without the doubt, the, the lesser gives tithes to the greater. And so, Melchizedek was a greater priest than. Aaron. That's his whole argument. So he says, I want to go into this, but he said, Look at, listen to this. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. I love that word, dull. It means sluggish. When I was studying this passage back in the first church that I pastored and I taught this in Sunday morning Bible studies in a Sunday school class, and I was studying this word. I had a Fiat 124 special at that time that had a fuel pump going out. And that car illustrated sluggish. It would go with fits and starts. You know, the fuel pump would work a bit and go and you know, you know it was fits and starts. It's a, you know, And when you're in traffic, that's the worst thing that can happen. There's so many people whose lives are like that. They'll come to church, get, get, get a word from God, get a touch from God, and vzz, they go. And then something happen, untoward happens. And then they go with another spurt, and then they fizzle out. Man, I hope that's not your life. It shouldn't be. I mean, you've been sitting under the teaching of the word of righteousness now for years. You should all be established in the truth. But I'm just not going to make too many assumptions, okay? So I'm going to develop this. He says, he goes on and he says this. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. See, he's saying, Listen. The whole key to this thing is not that you are a learner forever, but that you transition from being a learner to sharing the truth that you have received. And anybody who teaches will tell you this. You learn more from teaching others than you do just from learning yourself. See, and when you start teaching what you have received, it becomes powerful in your life. See, and he's saying to them, I'm frustrated by you because by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need somebody to teach you the fundamentals of the gospel, the fundamentals of the new covenant. It's clear, you know, and whew, there's just so much I could say, and I've got to be careful because I could easily chase a million rabbits, and I'll fall in, off a cliff And by the time of that. By this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone, now here's where I get this phrase from. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. See, baby Christians stay babies and need to be spoon-fed milk. And they come to church only on a Sunday morning. You won't see them here on a Saturday night because they're coming in on a Sunday morning and, and it's a Pastor Alex, give us a good word. He'll keep, keep us going this week, you know. And by Tuesday, it's all, all the blessing has fizzled out and they need, you know, they go... Nyee, bleh. Nyee, bleh. You see, they're sluggish. They should be teaching others. But they come in and it's like, feed me... Feed me, and don't give me strong stuff, just give me milk. That's all I can endure. (laughs) Nobody here is like that. You wouldn't be here on a Saturday night if you were there. I'm going to make that assumption. Okay. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is... Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I want to unpack that a little bit. You see, what happened was this. When the law came in, the law is all about righteousness by what you do. Isn't that right? In other words, you obey the law, and if you can obey the law, then you're righteous. Well, Nobody could obey the law. So there is an unrighteous, no not one, the Bible says. Nobody could obey all the law. And that's why Jesus had to come, so that he could perfectly fulfill the law of Moses and then die as a sacrifice according to the, you know, the sacrificial system, and become the Lamb of God and pay the price for the sins of all mankind so that we could go back to the basis of righteousness by which Abraham was declared to be righteous. And what was that? Genesis chapter 15, God came to Abraham and he says, Abraham, come out here with me. And if any of you have ever been in a real desert place and you look up at the sky and there's no ambient light around, the sky is unbelievable. I can remember we were in the Atacama Desert in North Chile in 1967 and our team leader, Jimmy Ferguson, took us out into the middle of the desert late one night and he said, okay, he said, I'm going to do this. He said, I'm going to park the truck and then he said, "I want you all to walk off in different directions and he said i 'm going to leave the lights off on the truck, and then, when you get out there, look at the sky and just see the the stars and so on, and then try to find your way back to the truck And he said, "After about five minutes i 'll switch on the truck lights, and we were all lost, you know because you 're so disorientated." But the sky was unbelievable. So Abraham, God takes Abraham out, and he says, look at the stars. And he says, so shall your seed be. And the Bible says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It was imputed. Righteousness was imputed. It wasn't deserved. It wasn't earned. It wasn't produced by his works. He simply believed God and God said, you're righteous. And Jesus came to restore us to that basis of right standing with God. So becoming skilled in the word of righteousness is understanding this. It's not about my performance at all. It's not about me keeping the law. So the law is all about right and wrong. Doing right, not doing wrong. Right and wrong. Right and wrong. But he says this in the last verse there, but strong meat is for the mature. St- solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use has their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It's no longer right and wrong. It's good and evil. And here's the simple formula. If it's good, it's God. If it's evil, it's the devil. Theology 101. If it's good, it's God. If it's evil, it's the devil. Do you understand that religion can be very evil? Because it blinds people to the love of the Father and the truth of the gospel. Because they spend their lives trying to be good enough, trying to do the right thing, instead of having their becoming mature and their senses. You see, once you settle that you're righteous, your senses are freed from worrying about right and wrong, to begin to discern good and evil, and you start discerning God, and you start discerning when Satan is operating. Isn't that right? See? So strong meat or solid food is for the mature. That is those who by reason of use... I wish I had my my telephones in there. I just took a snapshot today. Some preacher made this statement. uh, Spiritual maturity is not a process of working on your sin. It is a process of you discovering your righteousness. See, you are righteous. Now, it's just discovering how righteous you are and discerning that some things that you accepted that really were, you know, you thought were of the devil was actually God. See, there was a time when I thought tongues was of the devil. (laughs) Because my palate had been so deformed by the religious system I grew up in you know, and there were many things that I rejected simply because that was the system that I was in. And so I called what was God wrong. So God's bringing us to the place where instead of worrying about sin and about right and wrong, we're going to the place where we're just discerning what's good and what's evil and avoiding what's evil I love what John actually said later in 3rd John to Gaius, uh, don't worry it, it, I didn't give you the reference because it's uh, beloved do not imitate what is evil but what is good he who does good is of God but he who does evil has not seen God. See it's about good and evil. Mm-hmm. What verse is that? That's verse 11 of 3rd 3rd John. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God. That's Theology 101. Bev was at a women's retreat in Galveston many years ago, and there was a woman who was leading the worship, and she had had breast cancer, was it? And she was telling everyone how God had given her breast cancer so that she could grow and mature spiritually and so on. And Bev was so provoked, she got up and she said, I want to teach you Theology 101. God is good, he only does good. The devil is evil, he can only do evil. God cannot do evil, and the devil cannot do good. That's Theology 101. But a lot of people are confused because religion has confused us into thinking that God will send send some sickness on you to, to mature you and to grow you. No! Why would he use evil when evil was nailed to the cross. It was evil that took his son to the cross. He's not going to put on you that which Jesus died to remove. I mean, it's, it's, it's so foundational, but so many of us have learned stuff that is contrary to this becoming skilled in the word of righteousness. I've shared so many times in this place, but I'm going to do it again because somebody might not have heard what happened to me. I was pastoring in Zimbabwe, in, um, in Africa, and uh, struggling to be right, doing right all the time, and berating myself when I didn't measure up to what, what I felt was the standards that I should live up to, and so I was utterly frustrated in pastoral ministry. I wanted out so badly, I'd been a pastor for seven years. Poor Bev had to suffer through all my struggles, you know, kind of thing. And then in 1981, a lay preacher came into our businessmen's fellowship and shared about Romans 5.17. And it was a point at which God began a process in me. Romans 5.17 says this, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will (laughs) reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And this guy was a lay preacher. He was the the manager of the Agricultural Finance Corporation in town, a government land bank that, you know, made loans to farmers. And... um, Yeah, he was just a lay preacher. He wasn't a professional preacher at all. he shared on this verse. And I just sat there judging him because, you know, I was seminary trained and all that jazz. And I thought, man, this guy can't preach. But he kept saying this, the way to reign is to receive. The way to reign is to receive. And I was arguing with him internally. I said, that's far too simple. See, if you'd have asked me at that point what is the key word to the Christian life, I would have said it's obedience. I was off base. Because the key word to new covenant Christianity is not obedience, it's faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Doesn't say without obedience. See, but true faith in God is going to bring transformation and you will obey. What the Spirit tells you. But that's not the key to the blessings of God. It's trust. It's not trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. We used to sing that hymn. <laughs> but to trust and obey. No, obedience is not there. It's, it's faith. It is by faith that I receive the blessings of God. Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. And this pr- little preacher offended me so badly. I sat there literally getting hot under my collar as I was arguing with him internally. It's not that simple. But he kept saying, the way to reign is to receive. The way to reign is to receive. The way to reign is to receive. And then he'd say, oh, "Are you raining?" And you know, when the Spirit of God is dealing with you, somebody can point at the ceiling and it feels like they're pointing... because I knew I wasn't reigning I knew I was frustrated I knew I was defeated I knew what I wrote in my journals every day all of a compendium of my sins and my failures and so on I was so sin conscious and so self conscious I had no knowledge of the gift of righteousness I had never received the gift of righteousness and that day started a revolution in me because I said God I don't know how to receive my daddy raised me to perform and church raised me to perform. Religion taught me about performance. All your ducks in a row. From my earliest years in Sunday school, it was, did you bring your Bible? Did you learn memorize your verse? Did you bring your pennies for the offering plate? Did you do this? Did you do the other thing? You know, Are you obeying your parents at home kind of thing? So it was all performance, all of religion. I can't believe that. So many times in Sunday school, we're not getting our kids full of the Holy Ghost and teaching them how to hear the Spirit. Instead, we're telling them Bible stories and teaching them obedience. We should be getting our children full of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to hear and to walk and flow in the Spirit of God. <laughs> Yee! But it, that got to me. And I resigned from pastoral ministry and pulled a trailer to the Seaside Resort and uh, locked myself away. And I said, Lord, I'm not leaving here until I know the truth. And I studied for the month the book of Romans and the book of Galatians and got the revelation of grace. And just and as an aside, but a wonderful aside, the book The Birthright is at the printers right now. It's about to come out in December. And uh, the wonderful part of it, we didn't have to put in a penny. They're doing it all, yeah, you know, because they believe in the book, the birthright. And so my story is in there, and I know it's going to help many preachers who are as frustrated as I was and who don't know how to receive, but, and not just preachers, so many people. See, the way to reign is to receive. That's what he says. How much more shall they who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That means you overcome as a king. You reign as a king. Reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Through receiving. Receiving. Now what do you receive when you receive the gift of righteousness? What is the mark of somebody who has received the gift of righteousness? Verse 1 of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God (laughs) through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, if you ask Beverly, what is the greatest gift of the new covenant that she has discovered Through knowing the new covenant, she says, peace. It's wonderful when you have peace. Peace in the midst of the storm doesn't mean the storms all go away. It just means that you have peace. Because as I've shared with before when we've looked at that whole passage, when things go wrong... After you have been justified by faith, this, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also grow glory in tribulations. See, if you had tribulations before you established in the word of righteousness, you think, God's mad at me. I've done something wrong. He's punishing me. But if you've been been established in the word of righteousness, you understand stuff happens. And it's not God who's mad at me. And every time tribulation comes, it's an opportunity to grow. This is what happens, glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance character. Oh, man, this is a... I can't tarry... And character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So somebody who has, been, has become skilled in the word of righteousness has a healthy soul because they don't go into spiritual, what's the word, introvertedness. It's a spiritual depression looking at their belly button when things go wrong, thinking, what have I done wrong? Because they understand. Stuff happens. The car's going to break down. It doesn't mean God's mad at you. Oh, where's the protection of the angels? Hey, the thing's old. You know. <laughs> What's that? It needs gas. It needs gas. <laughs> when Bev calls me, help, something's wrong with this car. And I rushed down to her. There's no gas in the car. (laughs) Didn't didn't you hear the car talking to you when it said, you know, you got fifty nine miles left and then when you got thirty nine miles left and when you got nineteen miles left, it's talking to you. No, she's on the phone. She's not hearing what the car's saying to her. She's yeah she's even laying hands on the thing <laughs> praying in the holy ghost <laughs> just put gas in it <laughs> you see a lot of people just fall apart when something happens like that because they don't have peace in their hearts but peace in the midst of the storm is the fruit Of being established and skilled in the word of righteousness because you understand that when things go wrong and when you're tribulating, it's not because God is mad at you. But it's simply because you're in a broken world where stuff happens to every one of us. But we have a loving father who wants us to become established in the word of righteousness. And so when we tribulate, we know this, that tribulation produces perseverance. Hupomone is to remain steadfast under it. We don't fall to pieces. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. I I just love this. Skilled in the word of righteousness. Skilled in the word of righteousness. I have no greater joy, John says, than to see my children walking in the truth. I guarantee you that for Pastor Alex and Sister Jill and the others in leadership beyond the body, they can say that. There is no greater joy. And there's no greater frustration than to see people who should know better and should be teachers by now and they never get off center because they don't receive this word of righteousness. They hear it, but it doesn't, it doesn't compute with them. I, I tell you, one of the greatest joys, you know, we've been going to ShopFix now for about three years. And people come to me and say, you know, I was raised Catholic. And when you started sharing about the, the gospel of grace... I didn't like it one bit because it went against everything I'd learnt. But it's changed my whole paradigm and my relationship with God completely. And it's beautiful to see that happening. People becoming skilled in the word of righteousness. There is no greater joy than to see children walking and being skilled in the word of righteousness. That's the first mark of a healthy soul. A soul. Now, what is the soul of man? Well, I'm going to just dif- differentiate. The heart of man is the inward self where feelings, emotions, and thinking occur. The mind, remember J- Jesus said, you know, the, the the greatest commandment of all, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy soul. The mind is the inward part of us where thinking occurs. And the soul is the entire inner person. So it's your emotions are being renewed because your mind is being renewed, which we'll look at tomorrow night. And as your mind is being renewed to the truth of God's word, your, and your emotions come into line with the truth that you believe and you become healthy in your soul. And when you become healthy and prosperous in your soul, you begin to experience material prosperity and you begin to experience health in your body. Isn't this good? I think it's a great word, you know. I mean, a lot of people looking at, look at that word and think, well, yes, boy, I want the material prosperity. And I tell you, if you're driving for material prosperity, you're driving for the wrong thing. You drive for a prosperous soul. And in driving for the the prosperous soul, you're going to experience prosperity and health in your body. Skilled in the word of righteousness. One last insight. And that's from Hebrews chapter 6. He talks about the uh, the first principles of the oracles of God. And he goes into chapter 6 and he says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to, gain to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. What's dead works? Dead works are works that once were required under the law. They once gave a measure of life to the children of Israel. Do this and you will live, says the law. The gospel comes in and says, live and do this. It empowers us. You know? So dead works are stuff that we think are important for us to be acceptable in God's presence as i learned as I, as i grew into the word of righteousness i had to abandon dead works one of the first ones that i abandoned was prayer that shocks you prayer as i used to practice it because i had prayer lists and i had a disciplined prayer life of getting on my knees and starting i had my, you know, whole system of worship, adoration, you know, you know, thanksgiving and then confession and then supplication, you know, the whole thing. And I'd go through the whole rigmarole every day and it was dry as dust. It was a dead work. It wasn't inspired by the Spirit. It was my performance because I thought that's what pleased God. That's what would bring me close to God. And so it's a bit of a shock to the system. And I've shared the story before. I was driving on Airport Freeway in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and Chuck Swindoll was on KCBI, which is the Criswell Bible Institute station, at 9 o'clock every morning. And, you know, he starts with an outtake, which is a phrase from the message. And the outtake was this Isn't it amazing? That the thing that God gave us to release anxiety has become the greatest source of anxiety for most believers. And I said, that's me. That's right. See, if you want to get people to the altar, just preach on prayer. And ask those who don't feel that they're praying enough to come forward. And you'll get the whole congregation to come to the front. (laughs) Isn't that right? (laughs) It's, it's true, because we all feel like, based on everything that we've heard, it's, it's like when Larry Lee was preaching about praying one, for one hour. And he came to a James Robinson Bible conference, and he preached on, should we you know, could you not watch with, watch with me one hour? And he shared how Paul Yonggi Cho had said to him one time, he said, something supernatural happens after you pray one hour. And, you know, it sounds great. But it's, it's, that's dead religion. Something supernatural happens the moment you say, Father. You've got all of heaven's attention. The moment you address him as Father. You don't have to pray one hour. But you know what? Uh, when Larry Lee preached that, now, so what happened was, let me go back to my story first. As I'm driving along, I switched off the radio and I said, Lord, that's me. And then I switched the radio back on and I listened to Chuck Swindoll's whole message, and I thought, I've learned the wrong things about prayer, because my prayer life has got nothing to it. So I, and he was talking about Je- Jesus' disciples saying to him, "Lord, teach us to pray," and he suggested that we ask the Lord to teach us how to teach us to pray. So I switched off the radio and I said, "Lord." I'm resigning from my prayer life. I'm quitting because it's not any joy at all. And I'm trusting you to teach me to pray. And I didn't pray for three months. <laughs> and then he opened my eyes. I had been praying in the Spirit at all times. Pray without ceasing. My whole life had become just conversational, communication, communication. With the father, and it wasn't that formal—getting on my knees and you know going through my lists and so on. It was talking to him as to a father. So I go to this James Robertson Bible conference where Larry Lee is teaching, and Larry Lee challenges everybody to pray one hour. And so he gives an invitation, you know, to challenges all the pastors to commit to pray one hour. So, you know, who of you are you going to commit to pray one hour? And so the whole lot stand up. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to do that because the Lord be. But, you know, he kept pressing. And I was getting embarrassed because I'm the only one sitting. And I have to just tell you with all sadness in my heart, finally the pressure got to me and I stood to my feet. I had planned already, after that James Robinson Bible conference, to go to a place on Lake Dallas. There was a doctor who had given us a key to his home, and he said, "Any time you want to go out there, use it." So I'd go out there and pray. And so I went out there and I was going to fast and pray. And I got there. And you need to understand, this house has got the best food. the best <laughs> drinks everything in it. I mean, this is a wealthy doctor. I mean, this place is equipped. And I'm hungry as a land rat. (laughs) I called Bev. I said, Bev, you've got to pray for me. I'm under spiritual attack. I came here to pray, and all I can think about is eating. You know, this is this is spiritual warfare. I called T.D. Hall, and I said, T.D., you've got to pray for me. I'm under spiritual attack. I came out here to Chuck's Cottage so that I c- could pray, and all I can think of is food. And on the third day, God opened my eyes, and he said, Who told you to pray one hour? I said, Lord, you didn't. And I had to repent. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. You were teaching me to pray. And I followed the pressure of a man's system. And I stood to my feet. And the moment I repented, it was gone. See, he's jealous of us. He's jealous of us. He wants to teach us intimacy with himself to pray and to commune with him and to walk with him and not be swayed by the old system of religion that says if you'll do such and such, God will do such and such. No, if you'll believe. That's it. Skilled in the righteousness, word of righteousness. So he says, don't lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Get over that. Dead works, it's finished. And then he says, and faith toward God. That's it. I love what Paul said in Acts chapter 21 when he calls the elders from Ephesus and he says to them, he said, you know how he had labored with them and he said, I taught you night and day, listen to this, repentance toward Christ and faith toward God. No, it was it's faith toward Jesus Christ and repentance toward God. That's it. Changing my mind toward God away from dead religion and putting my faith in Jesus Christ completely and alone for righteousness. Now, I've shared this picture before, but this is what I want to leave with you and we'll be through. When Jesus came walking along to the Jordan, and John had been obviously separated from his cousin Jesus for for a while because he was in the wilderness and when Jesus comes to John what does John announce him as behold the Messiah no he says behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world his introduction to mankind is given by his cousin John the Baptist as the Lamb of God what's the significance of that He's the lamb of God who, who sacrificed. Now, this is the, the picture, the paradigm that I want you to get. What was the lamb all about under the sacrificial system of the old covenant? Well, if someone had sinned, they had to bring a, a lamb, or if they were poor, they could bring other lesser animals. But the issue was the, the lamb had to be without blemish. So the priest would examine the lamb to be sure the lamb had absolutely no blemishes. And if the lamb had no blemish, the person, the worshiper, was allowed to draw near to God, come into the presence of God through the fact that the lamb had no blemish. On the cross, Jesus as the lamb of God shed his blood And then he ascended on high and he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat. What happens if he had sin of his own and the blood was simply for his own sin? He would never have been raised from the dead. The resurrection is forever a guarantee to us that God the Father examined the lamb and found the lamb to be without blemish and accepted his sacrifice on your behalf and on my behalf so that we can draw near to God without a shadow of a doubt that we will be welcomed and received by God completely because the lamb was without blemish. Now, here's the bottom line issue. Did the priest... Examine the worshipper. No, he examined the lamb. Does God examine you? No, he wasn't so sure about that one. No, he sees you as righteous. You're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. The lamb's sacrifice was sufficient. God's never going to examine you Again. And that flies in the face of all religious teaching that 's why getting skilled in the word of righteousness is getting over all the the shame, the condemnation, the guilt that you 've grown up with that religion has put on you, that performance has put on you, and that you know keeps on highlighting your failures and keeps on highlighting where you 've fallen short. God is not examining you; he receives you to himself. And then through relationship with him and living in his presence, you are transformed. See, this girl that Bev spoke about, she, uh, she introduced and God beckoned onto her lap. She's living with a boy. So, you know, religion says Bev should have told her, now you know you can't live with this boy anymore until you're married. <laughs> Bev did nothing of the kind. Why? Because God's not examining her. But God knows that what she's doing is going to hurt and damage her. And so the Spirit of God in time is going to lead her into truth. But that's his prerogative. That's his responsibility. See, and we lay these things on people and then we wonder why people always stay spiritual babies. It's because they keep examining themselves. To see whether they write with God. Whether they measure up. And he has measured the lamb. And the lamb has been accepted. So stop examining yourself. And come boldly into his presence. As Hebrews 10 says. Where you will obtain mercy. And you will find grace to help in time of need. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We celebrate this evening. We celebrate the Lamb. We celebrate the Gospel. We celebrate the good news. We celebrate the finished work of the cross. We celebrate Jesus, your perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice, perfect sacrifice. Thank you that Jesus is your righteousness revealed to mankind. That as we receive the abundance of grace and we receive the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. We reign in life. We reign in life. It doesn't mean that nothing bad ever happens. But when it does happen, we don't fall apart at the seams because we understand that it's not because you're mad at us. It's simply we are tribulating, and tribulating produces perseverance because we learn to stay steadfast. We don't fall apart when things go wrong. We we stay steadfast in perseverance and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope never disappoints us because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So I don't know this evening where you are, if you've been become skilled in the word of righteousness or not, but I know this, that it took me years to become skilled because I had so much stuff that I had to overcome of the old programming And so every time you hear the gospel, it's a great opportunity to repent. It's a great opportunity to receive again the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It's a great opportunity to expose those dead works in your life and say, Man, I've been relying on my prayer life to earn me points with God. I've been relying on my giving to earn me points with God. Just repent of that. Say, Lord, I don't want to give because I'm trying to earn something. I want to give because it's my nature to give. Because of what you've done in me. It's your grace in me. I don't want to pray because I feel obligated to pray. I want to pray because I love to be in your presence. And love to talk to you and love to hear your voice. Prayer is two-way conversation with you. It's not me bringing a shopping list to you any longer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you that we can repent. It's so easy to repent. We don't have to go into hours or days of mourning. We simply say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. And it's over. Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Thank you, Lord. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesman. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you, and thank you for listening.